I've got a good friend who is a computer nerd, and he works with other computer nerds for a living. And I say this with all genuine uh, love in my heart uh, because computer nerds make the world go around. And uh, if you're smart enough to do that, absolutely do that. They make a great living. They make a great contribution to society. And they have a lot of fun doing that. So when they gather together for some of their brainstorming meetings that take hours to think about how they can make our lives better, uh, their drink of choice to keep them going in this process is Diet Coke. And they live in a big city, and so they're able to order in Diet Coke, not just from anywhere, but from Amazon. And Amazon brings over a bunch of Diet Coke almost immediately. And so a few years ago, that would be impossible. They'd actually have to go out and get the Coke themselves and, and bring it back. But, you know, sometimes I wonder if you and I don't wish that God was like Amazon, that when we wanted something, we could order it, and it would be delivered immediately, at least within two days if you have Prime. So if someone in our life is sick and we wanted them to be healed, to say, God, would you please heal them? If we're facing a bully at school or our child is facing a bully, our grandchild is facing a bully, we say, God, can you take care of this immediately? God, I'm out of work and I really need to provide for my family. I need you to bring a new job, a new set of employment for me right now because things are looking very bleak. I think we would all love it if God was like Amazon and we could order whatever we wanted and get it absolutely immediately. If you could see a miracle from God in that fashion, what would it be? We all know that God doesn't really work that way. Now, sometimes we'll pray to God and we'll ask for something specific and that prayer will be answered exactly as we like it to be answered. And sometimes it happens almost immediately. But more often than not, when we pray to God, I believe that God hears us and God answers us, but it's not exactly the way that we want it to be answered. And it's not exactly in the time that we want it to be answered, but we still believe that God works in the world. We still want to believe that God works in the world, that there are miracles, that God intervenes in our lives. Brothers and sisters, if you and your circles of influence with your family, with your friends, with your colleagues at work, with your buddies that you hang out with, if you could see a miracle from God, what would it be? Today we're going to talk about miracles. We're going to talk about how it affects us in our circles of influence. Is God still a God that performs miracles or did he get all of his good work done back when the Bible was written thousands of years ago and now he's kind of left it up to us? Are miracles real? Does God interact in our lives in the circles that we find ourselves in? And if so, what does that look like in the 21st century? So I think the best place to go to start for this is in the Bible where we read a lot about miracles. And we're going to be in the first book of the New Testament today. It's called the Gospel of Matthew. A gospel means the good news of Jesus. It talks about the life, the birth, life, death, resurrection of Jesus and what that means for us in our lives. And there are four gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four different viewpoints of the life of Jesus from four different people that were, that were around in those days, back in the first century in, in the life of Israel. And so today's gospel is from the gospel of Matthew. And Matthew was a disciple of Jesus. He was with Jesus, one of the 12. And so uh, we have an eyewitness that's talking to us today. And, and we're going to study uh, what Matthew teaches us about a miracle. It's not just any miracle. It's the only miracle that all four gospels have written down in them. Right? The only miracle that makes all four of the gospels. And you might have heard it as uh, the feeding of the 5,000, where Jesus feeds 5,000 people. 
We're going to find out today as we get to the end of this passage of Scripture that really it's probably closer to 10,000 people because it says there were 5,000 men, not including the women and the children that were around. So probably a decent way, a decent estimate to say that there were 10,000 people that Jesus fed miraculously. Now, I want to help set the stage for what's happening in the life of Jesus. He has just gotten some bad news. He's just gotten some bad news about his cousin John. If you remember, when Jesus' mother was pregnant with him, Mary's cousin Elizabeth was pregnant with a boy named John who was going to be born before Jesus. And when they grew up, he was going to go out and prepare Israel for the coming of Jesus to say that God's son is here, the Messiah is here. And John went out and he talked about God and he baptized people. That's why he was called John the Baptist. And so he prepared the way for Christ. It was Jesus' cousin. In fact, he baptized Jesus himself. Well, the news that that Jesus gets is that John has been killed. He's been assassinated by the local king, King Herod, who's a puppet ruler for the Roman Empire. He's a local boy that they've elevated to rule for them uh, and to make sure that the Israelite people follow the Roman rules. And so John has done something that was unthinkable to Herod. He stood up to Herod. For you see, Herod was having an affair with his brother's wife. John found out about it, and he told Herod that was not cool, and he needed to cut it out. Of course, Herod didn't like this, and, and Herod's uh, lover, she didn't like this. His mistress didn't like this, and so they always had it in their minds to somehow take it out on John, to, to have their revenge on him. And so what happened was Herod threw uh, a banquet, and he invited his friends over, you know, probably military people, political people. They were partying, and at that banquet, uh, his, uh, his uh, lover's daughter came, and she danced for him. Right? His mistress's daughter came and danced for the group, and she did such an amazing job that Herod, a little tipsy on the wine, said, you know what, bring her here. And he said to her, whatever you want, because you're such a great dancer, I will give you whatever you want. So she goes back and talks to her mom, and her, her mom sees the opportunity. She says, go back and tell Herod that I want, you want, John the Baptist head on a platter. I want that guy dead. How dare he tell me that I am doing something wrong? So she goes back, she tells Herod that's what that her mom wants, that's what she wants. And so he has John beheaded in prison, and the head is sent to his mistress on a silver platter. That's the news that Jesus has just received. Bad news. The worst news. His cousin has been killed in a heinous way for standing up for the right things that God called him to do. And Jesus has received this news, and that is going to take place right ahead of this amazing miracle. God does some of his best work in the worst of times. So let's see what happens in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 14, beginning with verse 13. When Jesus heard what had happened about his cousin John, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. It's not uncommon to see Jesus in his busy, crazy life to take a time out and to go get away by himself and to pray. And he's doing that, and obviously now he's grieving, and he really needs some some strength from God in this this time of of grief. And so hearing of this, there were crowds that followed him from on foot from the towns. Jesus was in the northern part of Israel by the Sea of Galilee. Imagine like a beautiful, huge Lake Norman. Not many houses, not many towns, just a bunch of big hills around it. There were scattered towns around that, but a lot of you know untouched territory, just beautiful place. And the towns have heard that Jesus is, is here, and so they come and, and they follow him. When Jesus landed in his boat and he saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. 
Now think about that. His cousin's just been executed in this heinous way. Jesus just wants to be off by himself. But he sees that people need him. They have a need that he can meet. And so Jesus has compassion. These 10,000 people are there. He goes among them and he begins to heal them. Right in this beautiful setting by the lake. As evening approached, the disciples came to him, the 12 disciples, one of which is Matthew, and said, this is a remote place. It's already getting late. Let's send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food, right? Jesus, we're out here. We can see the towns. It's kind of a far walk for them to get home, right? This is not yet. The season of Amazon has not been yet invented. Uh, They can't order out. There's no Domino's pizza. Can't order out for that. There's no Chinese takeout. There's no Whole Foods store right down the street. We don't have anything to eat, In fact, Peter just finished off all the last Slim Jims. And by the way, he's not looking so slim since he did that. Uh, So some false advertising there, right? Let's send these folks home so they can get something to eat. We don't want to get hangry, right? Hungry and angry. Let's send them home to get something to eat. Then Jesus replied, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. We've highlighted that verse. You give them something to eat. I want you to remember that. We're going to come back to that. That's the hinge verse of what we're studying today. These 10,000 people are hungry. There's nowhere really for them to go close. And Jesus says to the disciples who want to send them away, he says, no, you, you give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Okay, Jesus, there's 10,000 people here. We just told you Peter polished off all the Slim Jims. All we have are five loaves of bread and two fish, right? And a loaf of bread that they probably had was probably the size of a bun. Okay, so you had five loaves of bread, bun size. So if you divide that among 10,000 people, one bun can be shared by 2,000 people. And then we have two fish. And if you divide that among 10,000 people, then 5,000 people will share one fish. I think you get the picture. There's not a lot of food to go around. And the disciples are getting a little unnerved about this. But what did Jesus tell them? He says, you give them something to eat. So Jesus then does this. Bring them here to me, the loaves and the fish, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. So Jesus takes five loaves takes two fish, he, he, he breaks them up, he asks God to bless it, he gives it to the disciples, they give it to the people. Everybody eats and is satisfied, and then they have 12 full baskets left over. Now we read that and we say, surely that must be a miracle. Right? Jesus did something supernatural here. He took something that was ordinary and he did something extraordinary with it. The disciples got to participate in a miracle. Now, some people read this and they say, no, it wasn't a supernatural miracle. What happened was people saw that the disciples were willing to share the meager resources that they had, and that caused people to want to share what they had. They didn't just come out to Jesus empty-handed. They came out with picnic baskets. They wanted to be healed and hear from Jesus. They knew it might take a long time, and so they brought some food. They were inspired by Jesus and the disciples, and they shared it, and they had so much that they didn't eat it all, and they had 12 baskets left over. Now, if that's what happened, that would be a pretty cool thing. It would be special. It, It could maybe even be called a miracle. 
But I don't think that's what happened. I think this is a supernatural miracle where God took something ordinary and did something extraordinary with it. He let the disciples be a part of a miracle. And he took that bread and he broke it and he blessed it. He took the fish, he passed it out, and it was a miracle and it multiplied. It fed 10,000 people and had 12 basketfuls left over. The reason I think that this is a supernatural miracle is because there's a lot going on under the surface of this story. There's a lot happening here. And, 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 and part of that is, if you, in the Old Testament, when the people of Israel, thousands of years before Jesus was born, were in captivity in Egypt, God freed them. And they were wandering around out in the desert trying to get back to Israel. And they were hungry. And they didn't have anything to eat. And God provided for them with what? Bread. Bread from heaven called manna. So with Jesus providing bread for people in the New Testament times, it, it was in continuity to say, God fed you thousands of years ago. I will continue to feed you and your bodies today. Right? So that's a powerful thing. I think another thing that's going on here theologically is when Jesus is breaking the bread and he gives it to the disciples and they in turn give it to the people, they are feeding people and feeding them and meeting their needs, their physical needs. It's also foreshadowing Jesus giving Holy Communion to where bread is not only going to feed someone's body, but it's going to feed someone's spirit. The last night that Jesus was with his disciples before he was betrayed and executed, he had a meal with them, and he took a loaf of bread, and he broke it, and he blessed it, and he gave it to his disciples and said, Take and eat. This is my body which is broken for you. As often as you do this, remember me. It symbolized Jesus being hung on a cross and having his body broken, right? And so I think he's setting that up here. Remember when Jesus fed our bodies with bread, now he's feeding our souls with what he's doing on the cross, and bread is an awesome symbol of that, right? There's more than just sharing some food going on here, right? And, and then we have 12 baskets left over. That's not by mistake either. The number 12 is important in the Bible. I wish I could tell you exactly why it's important in this story, but I'm, I'm not sure what it is other than to say this is a supernatural thing. Because in the Bible, 12 is important. There were 12 tribes of Israel in the Old Testament. There were 12 disciples that Jesus chose. There were 12 baskets left over. I think it says that there's more than just a physical sharing of people bringing out their food. Something supernatural is happening here. And I think there's a lot of stuff going on here that has to do with a banquet. Jesus was serving an informal banquet to 10,000 people with not a lot of food. But at that banquet, Jesus was sharing love. The disciples were sharing what they had been given. There was a lot of faith and there was a lot of trust, and it was a heck of a nice banquet. It was a cool banquet. It's an amazing banquet. But we can contrast that to the banquet that King Herod was at that Jesus has just heard from. Herod was at a military banquet. He was at a political banquet. People were half drunk or fully drunk. And there was a, you know, exotic dancing going on at this, this banquet. There was plotting and there was malice and there was murder at this banquet, this worldly banquet. And Jesus, in doing his banquet, said, My banquet is better than what the world has to offer. And I'm offering you this bread, which ultimately becomes the bread of life. And there's one more banquet that we read about in the New Testament. As we get further along in the New Testament, the writers tell us that when we all have seen Jesus come back to the earth and, and those of us who follow Christ have died or been caught up with Jesus and, and we're in the kingdom of heaven right at the end of time, that we're going to be gathered, guess where? At a banquet. 
and we're going to sit down at a banquet with Jesus and God the Father, the Holy Spirit. We're all going to be there together. And all the Christians and all the followers of Christ, red and yellow, black and white, old and young, rich and poor, we're all going to be feasting at this heavenly banquet. What Jesus does in feeding the 10,000 is he foreshadows this. So when you add all that stuff up, it's got to be a supernatural miracle that has happened. And in the midst of that, don't, I don't want you to miss this, Jesus says to his disciples, you give them something to eat. He takes five loaves and two fish, something average, ordinary, and he does the extraordinary with it. And by giving it to Jesus, the disciples become miracle workers. They become part of something bigger than themselves. And here's where I think there's some good news. I don't think it's just limited to people 2,000 years ago. I think that God has given us average, ordinary things and abilities and gifts in our lives. And if we turn back to God and give them to God, that we can be a part of everyday modern miracles ourselves. You give them something to eat. There's a movie made many years ago now, and it starred Morgan Freeman, uh, and he played God. And this movie's called Bruce Almighty, and, and what God does is he comes down and he gives an average human, a guy named Bruce, played by Jim Carrey, funny guy, the abilities, all God's abilities, right? And so Jim Carrey is now, instead of being God Almighty, he's Bruce Almighty, and, and so he gets a chance to see what it's like to be God for a day. And so what Jim Carrey does is when people are asking for miracles and asking for their prayers to be answered, he gives everybody everything that they want. And at first, that seems like a great idea and everybody's happy, but ultimately it leads, it leads to utter destruction and misery in all the world because sometimes we shouldn't get what we want. And so then God comes back and it's a messy world and he and Bruce begin to clean the mess up and they're literally mopping some floors doing that. And they have an interesting conversation about what Bruce learned that is actually relevant to our discussion today about the feeding of the 10,000. So check this out. I love that scene. He says that miracles aren't often what we think they are. A miracle is a single mom working two jobs and finds a way to get her children to soccer practice. It's a teenager who says yes to an education and no to the drugs that all the others are doing in their peer group. God says to Bruce that so many people ask me to intervene when all the time I have given them the power to make a difference in this world. If you want to see a miracle, be the miracle. That's our so what moment today. There's so much theology that I, I unrolled for you in that passage, and, and I think it's all true, and I think it's all powerful, but I think as we think about an application, how do we apply what Jesus said and taught? How do we apply what the disciples did? How do we apply what's going on in that, that feeding of the 10,000? I, I think that, you know, the so what? How does it affect my life? What does it look like in real life? How do I live that? If you want to see a miracle, be the miracle. If you want to see a miracle, be the miracle. God has given us all that we need and he is inside of us working through us to be the miracle in the world. Now, before you accuse me of being absolutely blasphemous to say, how dare you say that we are the miracle workers and it's not God, that's, that's not what I'm saying. Let me unpack this for you and for me and for all those watching just a little bit, right? If you want to be, or if you want to see a miracle, be the miracle, right? 
I want to clarify that by, by saying this. We can do nothing good without God. We can do nothing good in our lives without God. We can't find a cure for cancer. We can't help homeless people. We can't be nice and smile to the lonely person that we pass on the street without God's Holy Spirit working inside of us. We can do nothing good in the world without God. Whenever we do good things, it's God working through us. Well, Pastor Kyle, what about people who aren't Christian? What about people who don't believe in God? What about people who don't even know who Jesus is? They do good things. How are they doing that without God? They're not. They are doing good things with God. They just don't know that God's at work in their lives yet. We can do nothing good without God, right? John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, our denomination said that he called it prevenient grace, God at work in our lives before we know it. We can do nothing good without God working through us. I think that's what this movie's saying. God is working through us. I think that's what Jesus said when he said, you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. Now, I've got to admit that there's times where we pray our guts out. We work as hard as we can. We use our gifts and our talents and our abilities, and we do everything that we can to try to help someone or, or to, to have a miracle, right? To, to help someone go to the best doctors and to be cured, and they're not. To, to help end homelessness or to stop domestic violence, and yet things keep coming. And at some point, we just have to admit, God, I have done everything in my power and the power that you've given me. I have to turn it over to you now, God. And sometimes there's, there's times that God does things that are outside of our control, right? We've done everything that we can, and we have to turn it over to God. There, sometimes God is a, is a lone operative. We weren't there when God created the world. We weren't there when, when uh, Jesus was resurrected, right? That, we didn't cause that to happen, right? But when we read the Bible, the majority of the miracles that God does are not done by himself on his own. It involves human beings, when God parted the Red Sea, what did he do? He used Moses, and he said, use the staff and hold it up, and I will part the sea, right? God used someone. When he fed 10,000 people, he said to the disciples, you give them something to eat. Give up what I have given you, right? Take your ordinary stuff, and I'm going to do something extraordinary with it. So I don't want us to miss that opportunity that many times in our lives, when we're waiting on God, God's already at work in us. We just have to cooperate with God and surrender to him what he's given to us. A miracle. I want to show you what a definition is from the, uh, the Webster's Dictionary. And I think it, it, it says exactly what I'm, I'm talking about. Is a miracle is an extraordinary event manifesting divine intervention in human affairs. Right? It's an extraordinary event which manifests. That means it shows that God is at work in human affairs. So we see something that displays that God loves people that God's active in the world, that God cares about the world, right? So with the disciples, right, they gave their bread and their fish, and Jesus took it, and he fed 10,000 people, right? It's an event that displays the power of God, that God is in, involved in our lives, that God cares about us, that he's involved in our everyday life, right? So we, when we surrender to God the things that he's given us, God will use us to show other people that God cares for them. That's a miracle, an event that shows God is working in our lives. God lets us, like the 12 disciples, be miracle workers when we partner with God. And so I think what God calls us to do is, is to pray, to talk to God, and say, God, show me what you have given me. 
Show me what you have given me and show me how to use it to help others so that they will see you working in their lives. God, show me what you've given me. Show me the ordinary stuff you've given me and help me to use it to help someone else so they will see you, a miracle, working in their lives. There's a song, a contemporary uh, Christian song, modern song, uh, by a guy named Matthew West. And he's great, great musician, great songwriter, great performer, all that kind of stuff. And he writes this song called Do Something. And in those lyrics, he says, you know, I, I look around the world and it just disgusts me. Who are people living in misery, they're living in poverty, and they're starving, and there's human trafficking in the world. And he says, I shake my fist at heaven and say, God, why don't you do something? And then God says, I did. I created you. If you want to see a miracle, be the miracle. That's what we're celebrating this weekend in, in our country here in the United States, right? It's Martin Luther King Jr. weekend. Right? We're celebrating a person just like you and me who has done miraculous things. Right? Dr. King, right back in the 1960s, looks around the world, looks around the United States, looks around and, and sees that he, an African-American person, uh, he sees that his people, black people, God's people, all people, right? Black people are just not being treated as they should be in the United States of America. At best, they're treated as second-class citizens. At worst, they're treated like animals who need to serve white people and who need to be lynched if they get out of their, out of their place in society. Black children can't go to school with white children. Black adults can't eat in restaurants with white adults, can't sit on the same bus uh, with white Americans. And so Dr. King saw that, and, and God gave him a vision. God gave him a dream that said, the world needs to change. The world needs to be a better place. Right? Dr. King says, I see a banquet table before me, but my people, African Americans in the United States of America, are not welcome at the table. And he said, that's not good enough. Right? And I don't want to wait for the end of eternity when we all come together and red and yellow, black and white come together at the end of the time. That needs to be happening now. Heaven needs to get a slice on the earth. And so Dr. King worked against segregation. And what did he use, right? Was he a guy who could walk on water? Was he a guy who could part the Red Sea? No, he was an everyday person like you and me. He was a pastor and he used what God gave him to change the world. He used his words and he used his feet. He spoke out against injustice. He marched and he marched and he marched and, and he was nonviolent. And because of Dr. King and those that he inspired, our world is a better place. His dream has come true in part, but we still have a ways to go. If you were watching the news this weekend, you, you saw the, the white teenage boys from a Christian school in Kentucky disrespect an older Native American group that was just simply trying to peacefully demonstrate what was on their hearts, right? We're not where we need to be. Racism is a real thing and it lives inside of us. But if not for Dr. King being a miracle worker, using what God gave him, his words and his feet, right? Just imagine how antiquated we'd be and how terrible the United States would, would still be when it comes to race relations, Right, Dr. King got it. He understood when Jesus said to the disciples, you give them something to eat. 
said, Martin, I have a dream, and I want you to be the spokesperson for that dream. He said, yes, Lord, use me. Use what I have. Help me to show that people who are in this country who are being oppressed, that God loves them and that God is working in their lives. And Dr. King is nothing short of a miracle. You know, Batman is one of my favorite superheroes. One, because he's cool looking, has all these neat gadgets. I want to drive a Batmobile and live in a Batcave. But uh, what's really cool about Batman is he has no superpowers. He can't fly like Superman. He can't use uh, heat vision like Superman. He doesn't have super strength like Wonder Woman. He can't swim underwater with breathing like air like Aquaman. He can't climb up on a wall like Spider-Man or spin away or anything like that. Batman's superpowers, you know what it is, what they are? Right? His brains and his passion for justice in the world uh, and money, right? He, he has a superpower. He's a billionaire, so that helps him a great deal. <laughs> But he uses what he's been given, an average person, to make a difference in the world. Dr. Martin Luther King's like Batman, right? He used what God gave him to make this world a better place. Two months from now, we're going to send a, a, a team from our church, 12 people from our church, from, from young adults, uh, even children, uh, elementary age, all the way up to retired people, and we're going to go to Haiti. And we're going to check in on uh, the areas that we as a church have uh, paid to have clean water come into Haiti. Because just over a year ago, we learned that in Haiti and elsewhere around the world that millions of people die every day because they don't have access to clean water. And usually the way that they die is they catch a disease called cholera, uh, which, uh, which leads to diarrhea. And people just, they, they die from having excess diarrhea. Could you imagine a worse way to die in your life? Right? So we, we found out about that and it made us angry. And, and it moved our hearts. And so what we decided to do is we raised some money. Like we used our superpower of money and because our church is a generous church. I think that's one of the core values of our church. And, and so we partnered with a local uh, um, community group from Ballantyne, the Rotary Club. And so South Park and, and Ballantyne combined a, a secular and, a, and a, a religious groups came together. And they matched, they more than doubled what we gave as, as a match contribution. And because of that, we're going to be able to go into Haiti and see multiple communities of people who will have clean water. And we, in essence, through the power of God and through the generosity of our church and, and the Rotary Club, have saved thousands of people's lives. Now moving forward, right? You give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. We can be miracle workers when the Holy Spirit flows through us and we surrender what God has given to us. You give them something to eat. In the book called Wonder, and a movie that followed by the same name, we actually looked at it last summer as part of our Summer at the Movie series. There's a, a little boy who's born with a, a nasty facial deformity. He has multiple surgeries to correct this and make it look better, but still looks like a monster. He's raised in his own home, homeschooled, and his parents finally determined that he needs to go into public and be a part of a public school. And, and they're all fearing this because they're scared that their son will be rejected. And so they, they send the son in, and before he goes in, the principal goes around and tries to get the kids to be nice to him and all that sort of thing. But this boy comes into the school, and, and eventually, ultimately, he finds himself alone. 
And he's sitting at the, at the lunchroom table by himself. Thousands of other students in the school. No one will sit with him because his face is so ugly. And the word is that you sit with him, you'll catch the plague. And no one wants to catch the plague or, or to be made fun of for being his friend. And so in the midst of this thousands of students, he's on a lone island at a cafeteria table all by himself. It's a banquet of one. And it's miserable. And he's sad and angry and, and mad at the world and trusts no one until he meets another child, a little girl. And let's see what she does. From the outside objective perspective, what's the big deal? A little girl goes over and she sits down with a boy and they have lunch in their school cafeteria. No big deal. But from that little boy's perspective, who has no friends, everyone thinks he has the plague, he sits by himself, day after day after day after day, praying likely for someone to love him, to care for him, for who he is, to have a friend. When that little girl walks over and sits down at his table, that's nothing short of a miracle. She is nothing short of an angel of God sent into his life to say that God loves you and that you matter and that God is intervening in your life. What was her superpower? What was her ability? Could she walk on water? No. Could she feed 10,000 people with a few loaves and, and fish? Absolutely not. Her superpower was she had a big heart. And she had a, an incredible amount of courage. And she walked over, she pulled out a chair, and she gave into the force of gravity, and she sat down. And in doing that, her presence said to him, you matter to God, and you are important. That is a miracle. So brothers and sisters, what I want to invite you to do in the days ahead in the weeks ahead, in the months ahead, in the years ahead, is to ask God to be a miracle in someone's life. To say, God, show me what are the ordinary things, what are the ordinary gifts that you have given me in my life. Show me how I can use them so that someone else who is hurting will see that God is real and loves them and is interacting in their lives through me. I invite you to make that prayer with God, to be a part of not just one miracle, but multiple miracles, beginning today, asking God to use you to be a miracle in the world. And what if we all did that? What if we all let God flow through us? What if we let God take our ordinary stuff and make it extraordinary? I think our families would be happier. I think our workplaces would be better. I think our nation would be less divided. I think there would be less stress and anxiety. I think more people would believe in God. More people would know that miracles are real and that God loves us and has plans for us and is at work in our lives. If we travel back to 1963 and said to the world, to the United States of America, in the near future, there's gonna be a movie about a little girl and a little boy she is black and he is white and, and, and they have controversy at their table but the controversy is not about their skin color and in fact it's not just in a movie but in schools all around the United States of America there'd be black children and white children and yellow children and red children and they wouldn't even know that they're different until the adults told them that they were what if we went back to 1963 and said you know what in the future, there's going to be a movie that's going to have a black man and a white man, and they're going to be working together side by side, and they're going to be mopping floors together. And one of them is an actor who's playing the role of God. And the, and the actor who's doing that is not a white man. It's a black man. Those people in 1963 would say, you're crazy. That'll never happen. 
I'll make sure that doesn't happen because black people don't deserve that. Some people would have said that. Others would have said, that'll never happen. I wish that would happen, but there's no way. Look around our nation. There's no way our nation can change or have hope. And some would say, yeah, if that happens, that's a pipe dream. But if it happens, it's nothing short of a miracle from God because the way that our nation is divided in 1963, it will never change. It has to be a miracle. But I think if we went back in time, that one man would say, you know what? I absolutely believe that. That's the dream that God gave me. That's the dream that I'm trying to share with people. And I'm just using what God gave me. I'm using my words. I'm using my feet. I'm trying to make a difference. I believe in this dream. I believe there's hope for America. I believe we can come together as a nation. I believe it so much that I'll give my life for it. That's in the Bible too, you know. So brothers and sisters, I want to invite you to stand up. We're going to sing a song called God of Miracles. We're going to sing to God about being a miracle worker. We're going to invite Him to let His supernatural love flow over us. And when we sing, Lord, let your supernatural love flow over us, I want you to pray to God. God, let your supernatural come on my ordinary parts, Lord. Use me to be a miracle worker in life. Brothers and sisters, if you want to see a miracle, be the miracle. In the name of Jesus, amen.